a doctor in the house. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. Welcome, my friends, to the Willie Nelson version of Advanced Medicine Monday as Dr. Batar is on the road again. <laughs> How are you doing, Doc? I'm doing good. I like that, on the road again. Yeah, you are definitely... I'm not sing, though, for anybody. No, no, no singing Willie Nelson here, but uh, we appreciate you uh, appearing with us even when you're on the highway. So anyway, thanks for being here. Of course, we've got to dive right in because we've got questions from listeners, and I think that's... Really, if we're not doing it for them, we're not doing it. So uh, if you don't mind, we're going to dive into some chronic fatigue syndrome. Are you up for that? Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Okay. This is a question from Susan here, and Dr. Rajah Batar is specifically requested. He's on call. He says, Robert, I would really appreciate if I can get you and Dr. Batar's take on chronic fatigue syndrome. I managed to have a career for years. However, I ended up having to quit due to the chronic debilitating fatigue and chronic widespread pain amongst other symptoms. I had only planned on taking a few months off to recuperate and then go back into the workforce. It has now been over five years, and I still have had no relief. In the past, I did go to a holistic-minded MD over the course of several years. The doctor had me try many different supplements. I did not experience any improvement. I could really use some direction on how to address CFS. I don't understand what is happening to my body. I would really love to get my life back. That comes from Susan. And boy, oh boy, five years of this and still going on no relief. Ouch. Robert, this is a great question, and I'm glad that Susan is asking it, although I'm not glad, obviously, Susan suffers from this, but there's a reason that the supplements didn't work, because very simply stated, it wasn't that she was deficient in anything. This is almost exclusively a problem with toxicity. And I have not seen a chronic fatigue syndrome case, or even a fibromyalgia case for that matter, that did not have a significant correlation with heavy metal toxicity and also a concomitant chemical issue going on at the same time. Not always a chemical issue, but certainly I look at the metal as a cockroach. If there's metals present, then most likely the person is going to have a chemical issue because they're sensitive to the metals to that point that's basically shutting down their biochemistry. So she really needs to get a child test done. She needs to get detox and detox in a significant way. Yeah, I like what you said there. Um, as far as I'm concerned, there is... I'm sorry to say that again. Uh, Dr. Batar, what you went to is exactly where, and I'm not surprised, of course, you picked up on that. All the supplements in the world are not sufficient, even the best ones. If the body is racked with toxins, heavy metals, particularly mercury, as in most cases, I agree. And it sounds also that she has the fibromyalgia, whether it's been diagnosed or not, because she mentioned the, the fatigue and the pain. And pain, correct. Now, this is an interesting uh, component, too. It's a very timely issue where she's asking this question, and again, I'm obviously not pleased that she's suffering from this, but it is, it serves a purpose in the sense from our radio show, Robert, because, you know, when you brought up this thing about all the supplements in the world, I'm going to do something, I want people to really, really understand this concept. Think of the body as a house, and when you go to a doctor and they give you all sorts of supplements, that's like they're giving you window treatments and floor treatments, and they're brushing out the stainless steel on your stove and in your sink, and they're replacing the windows and the doors. 
But the problem is your house is on fire. So I don't care what you do to dress it up and make it look pretty. It's on fire. It's a waste of time. It's an exercise in futility. Nothing is going to be accomplished till you put that fire out. And the way you put the fire out in this particular situation is you remove the substances that are offensive, that are offending the body, offending the physiology. And that would be the heavy metals and the chemicals, the first and second toxicity that we deal with. Not to say that the other toxicities don't play a role here, but if she were to address the heavy metals by themselves, I think that she would get 80% of her life back right there, and then the rest could be easily accomplished because she'll know what steps to follow. But, and again, the, the book kind of gives you a primer on that, the nine steps, but the point is that this is something that is easy to solve. It's not necessarily quick to solve, but it's easy to solve once you turn the right rock over. And in her case, heavy metals and the persistent organic pollutants are virtually synonymous with this condition. Dr. Bittar, let me, let me just take a moment to welcome any new listeners to the Robert Scott Bell Show, particularly Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rajiv Bittar. He mentioned the nine steps. He's talking about his international best-selling book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. Very specific and detailed listing of these different aspects of, of the intoxicant, so to speak. And you mentioned the burning house analogy, which is a very, very apt one. If your house is on fire, throw all the good supplements in there, they're not going to do what you need to do while the combustibles are still in the house burning. So we're trying to do with this detoxification protocol to remove the fuel for the fire. As we said, maybe supplements could help some function of the, uh, let's say, the function itself. But if there's so much in the way, you might not get or you definitely won't get the full benefit of those supplements. That's why detoxification is such a crucial aspect and primary aspect to recovery. Absolutely, Robert, and it's very important for people to uh, get this concept because, you know, the, the supplementation aspect, everybody thinks, oh, well, the drugs didn't work, so, you know, what else do I do? And so they go automatically thinking that the supplements are going to be the solution. And you have to remember that a drug, a supplement, a homeopathic, unless it's designed specifically for elimination, an herb, a vitamin, I don't care what it is, until you take the garbage out, you're not going to have an improvement. Now, there are certain homeopathics, and we use some of these uh, on an intravenous basis that help to stimulate the body's lymphatic systems, the body's excretory pathways, uh, affect the renal system. So these are components that will definitely help to facilitate. But many of these toxins, they're so tightly bound. For example, the mercury, unless if you just use mercury as an example, I'm not saying that Susan necessarily has mercury. She chances that she probably does. Mercury probably does play a role in her particular condition, but... Without testing, we really don't know. If she's a non-expeder, then I'm certain that mercury would be playing a role in her. But whether it's mercury, lead, tin, arsenic, antimony, nickel, uranium, you know, whatever is affecting her, these particular metals, they act as a multifaceted assault, meaning that there's three mechanisms of toxicity uh, that heavy metals will manifest their negative effects. And these can be synergistic. And we've reviewed this before, Robert, but I think... It behooves us to review them very quickly here. The first method of toxicity is obviously the, the direct oxidative stress that the heavy metals are accelerating, the rusting process. The second one is the displacement issue where they displace the essential minerals, and these essential minerals cause, uh, well, the displacement of these essential minerals cause the physiology to basically become uh, to come to a standstill, essentially. Right. These essential minerals act as an enzymatic factors that are necessary and vital in order to, to, the, to have the metabolic process continue in the 
manner in which it's supposed to function, essentially. But uh, essential cofactors, once they've been eliminated or they've been displaced, as in the case of the second mechanism of toxicity, cause the system to become very, very difficult to continue to function as, as it's supposed to, as it's designed to. In other words, the physiological pathways have now been obstructed and blocked, and the, the system just can't function. And then the third toxicity mechanism is that of allergenicity, where the person can have an allergic response to these metals in addition to the first and second components. So you've got the oxidative toxicological impact, you've got the displacement that causes a, a, essentially a shutdown of the physiology aspect, and then you've got the third one, which is the allergenicity aspect. The allergenicity is not as common, but it is something that when a person has can be quite significant and will contribute and accentuate the first two. So in Susan's case, you know, it's possible she has all three of these, which will cause her to have all the symptoms of chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia and others. And until she gets those issues resolved, meaning the heavy metal issues resolved, she will not have any significant relief whatsoever. That is the brunt of her issue right now. And this is the reason that the heavy metal uh, DVD that we have called uh, Heavy Metal Toxicity, The Hidden Killer, I call it The Hidden Killer because it is the most endemic issue on the global society right now, as far as affecting the global society right now. Yeah, and I want to drop back to the displacement of essential minerals because this is the sum, the, the sum thing that so few, even in the holistic circles, understand because you could have a well-meaning doctor like Susan's doctor probably was you know, sincerely trying. Here, let me give you this supplement, this and this. All of these are indicated, even scientifically validated, to help with pain and help with energy and things like that. But yet they are limited in their ability to work in the body because the body has been so... Uh, abjectly robbed of these essential elements, you can never catch up as long as the offending elements, if we call them that, the offending toxins, the offending heavy metals are there displacing the minerals as faster, faster than you can put them in. Well, Robert, that's a really good point, but it's actually even more significant than that because you uh, inferred that you can't catch up. But the problem is there is no catching up. It's it's two different components. So one is a deficiency issue in the supplements well have help a person that has a deficiency issue, but here it's not a deficiency issue, it's a toxicity issue. So you're actually addressing almost like a dent in your car by trying to paint over it. Yes, right. you can paint over it, but it's not going to fix the dent. So you, it's not a catch-up issue, because a catch-up issue would be relative and pertinent if it was a deficiency, but in this case, it's not a deficiency, it's just that the system has something that's blocking it from working the way it's supposed to. Right, exactly. Well said. And, you know, even though we acknowledge the, the, the scientific validation of the issue of displacement of these minerals, the fact is, I love the way you described it. You can't paint over a dent. <laughs> You've really got to fix the dent. And then, of course, the thing that caused the dent. All of these things are uh, basically working in concert here. So, again, we've got uh, dealing with the direct oxidative exactly, stress, exactly. the displacement. And supplements, supplements have a role, and they have a vital role, but in this particular case, when you have this issue, supplements, as you've already said, as I've already said, they just are not sufficient. All right. Well, stand by. We're going to come back after this break, get further into it. We also have another issue related to kidneys from one of our listeners, but we'll see what we can do to follow up with that after this on the Robert Scott Bell Show, Advanced Medicine Monday. We'll be right back. The Robert Scott Bell Show. in the health world through the power of radio. 
It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. If you ever miss Advanced Medicine Monday, no fear. You can get all of the downloadable archives through MedicalRewind.com as well as, of course, NationalNewsRadio.com. Here at RobertScottBell.com, we link through to all of the things, including the nine steps to keep the doctor away, as well as the wonderful videos, including that Dr. Batar mentioned last segment. And, of course, directly to Dr. Batar's website for those of you who are feeling the need, and appropriately so, to get that kind of assistance if you don't have a good physician to help you out where you are. But all of that's linked up each each and every week here, and I appreciate that. Now, Dr. Batar, again, going through these three phases, or we talk about uh, Susan's case still, because there are a lot of folks out there, and it's been one of the more frustrating things. When, they deal, when I deal with them homeopathically, of course, my first primary role, because I don't do intravenous chelation as a homeopath, although I support it, you know that, we've talked about it, is to work on drainage, the concept of detox and drainage. So I'm stimulating homeopathically the function of the liver, the kidneys, spleen, the colon, the lymph, all of that, the connective tissue to dump this stuff. But that's not to say we can't be complementary here. And in fact, you've said it. You use homeopathy as well to support the lymphatic drainage, which is awesome. Actually, Robert, that's uh, exactly right. We do use homeopathic. We use homeopathic a little bit differently. There are certain homeopathics that I have found to be extremely beneficial. I think the reason that I don't use more homeopathy than I already do is because I just haven't had the exposure to all the different homeopathics. But uh, I'll give you an example. When you mentioned the support of the lymph drainage, the support of the spleens, of the kidneys, etc., it is a vitally important component. Well, no, it's, it's totally cool that you're utilizing it with this because you've been getting results for years, but also with the unlimited array of homeopathic medicines, you know, 30 years down the road, you could say, wow, there's still more. So the bottom line is getting your patients well, and that's what you're all about. So as you integrate things, as we've discussed over the years together, you're always open to new things. And, the, and you know, if you're getting patients well, then there's no complaints. Well, that's exactly the point, Robert. You and I are like-minded there when we talk about the most important thing is to get the patient better. And whatever the means is utilized to get the patient better, it doesn't matter It's as long as the patient's getting better. I've always said that I think one of the reasons that we've had such good clinical success is because we have no ego when it comes down to getting our patients better. And if I know that there's somebody that can help a patient better than I can, then I'm going to be the first person to send them there. And this is one of the things, Robert, that I wanted to mention about the homeopathic aspect the homeopathics that we're using actually aren't necessarily oral. They are homeopathics that are being used in an intravenous basis, but there are certain homeopathics that we have also seen that are very effective in, in other ways. For example, we're experimenting right now with some homeopathics that are given rectally, uh, almost like in an enema situation. So uh, I'm finding that the few homeopathics that I've been using, I- I'm just astounded by the effects. There was one that I think I talked to you off the line about, couple of months ago called Fuja. Yes. Just amazing. I mean, it's, I, I'm just astounded by the effectiveness of it. But lymphatic drainage, MTE3, it's a mineral trace element with single homeopathic. It's always a combination of five, six, seven different ones to elicit a specific response. And the MTE3 IV that we use is just phenomenal for drainage of the lymphatics. In fact, it's one of my mainstays when we're dealing with the oncogenic process or with any type of edema aspect, we give this IV, and it's one of the most specific IVs that people, the patients, existing patients request because they see such a dramatic difference. And what it's doing is stimulating the, the lymphatics, supporting the liver, supporting the spleen, 
and the kittens. Beautiful, beautiful. I love hearing that. And it's so amazing because it, it causes the material reductionist to ha- go into some kind of conniption fit <laughs> because, you know, you're putting energy in. It's like, wait, that's not supposed to have an effect on matter. Of course, it's the silliest thing ever. If you've ever put your finger into a light socket and you realize that ain't material, but it has an impact on matter. Well, the material reductionists are going to have a lot of problems with a lot of the things that we do in medicine because there are many things that theoretically shouldn't work, but they do work. And we know that that extends well beyond medicine, Robert. We see that in all different aspects. For example, if we look at Robert Becker's work, you know, when you see in salamander, you cut off a leg and the leg grows back. Well, it doesn't make any sense how that leg grows back. But people say, well, that's the lower forms of life. But then Robert Becker was able to show that by giving an electrical current, you can actually start to grow back appendages certain parts of the body, including the bony structures, in higher evolved uh, species. So, of course, the material reductionists won't be able to explain that, but there's so many other things that can't be explained, and yet they work. So we have to recognize that our role is to help people get better. It's not our role to necessarily understand and explain everything. In fact, if you start to look at certain things, even like aspirin, we don't know how aspirin really works, but it works. Right, exactly. And, of course, we also... In certain aspects, because we don't necessarily believe in aspirin. Right, and we also know exactly what I'm saying, that we have other options beyond aspirin, despite the fact that they don't know how aspirin works. How cool is that? All right, well, we got another question coming up related to kidney function after this break. You're listening to Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rasha Bittar and Robert Scott Bell. We'll be right back. The Robert Scott Bell Show. world through the power of radio it's the robert scott bell show all right we continue now with the willie nelson version of advanced medicine monday with dr rasha Batar still on the road you can hear his microphone sounds a little different bear with us for that but uh, we've got him he's here with us so advanced medicine monday continues and it's a special dedication to our listeners who write in over at robertscottbell.com or sometimes you call in and ask questions. And here's the second one we want to hit today, Dr. Batar. This one's really cool because we, we, we love talking kidney health, and I think this one's related for Monica. You ready? Yep. All right, here goes this letter. Hi, Robert, Dr. Batar. Friend in his early, I have a friend in his early mid-40s experiencing a second round of hematuria. Uh, she puts in parentheses here, peeing cola, C-O-L-A. We'll get Dr. Batar to respond to that in a moment. First round about six months ago. He, of course, fears a repeat. It appears she expelled blood clots from, from the photos, she says, not stones or gravel. Still, the clots clog the plumbing, resulting in kidney issues, including infection. Urine pH was 5.5 yesterday. Of course, this could be a kidney performance issue, but I'm thinking maybe the body may be breaking down excessive proteins or calcium. Of course, I've asked him to increase water intake a lot and consume more fruits and veggies, especially watermelon, which is still available here in Florida. I also think increasing magnesium intake would be help his uh, balance his calcium and relax his ureters to help when passing things. Any thoughts? Thanks for the info and the fabulous work you do. Blessings and love, Monica. Well, Dr. Batara, what do you think? This one's, Is it complicated when you deal with hematuria and kidney stuff? Robert, you're absolutely right. This is a complicated issue, and it's not something that's uh, quite as simple as being drawn out here. First of all, pink cola is not really um, just simple hematuria. So hematuria is a medical term that means blood in the urine. 
but typically hematuria is described as microscopic hematuria, which means that you need to see the urine underneath the microscope, and only then can you see red blood cells. But otherwise, if you just look at the blood, I'm sorry, excuse me, if you look at the urine sample with the naked eye, you don't see any blood. It looks like normal urine, but you have microscopic hematuria. Then you can have gross hematuria, and gross hematuria is usually where you can see a little bit of blood in the urine. When you pee cola, that is really more than gross hematuria. That's more like rhabdomyolysis, which means that there is muscle breakdown. So this person's phosphocreatin phosphokinase needs to be looked at and seeing what those levels are. Uh, this can be seen with a myocardial infarction. If a person's having a heart attack, they can have a pea cola, which is, you know, this gross hematuria. You can see this is rhabdomyolysis with excessive protein breakdown due to uh, overheating. You'll see this with soldiers or athletes during extreme exertion. Um, there's other things going on. The other concern here, Robert, is that this person could have actually a transitional cell carcinoma. This could be a, a picture of cancer. So, you know, it's not quite as simple as, um, as giving this person a supplement, magnesium, and calcium. I mean, that, that would be irresponsible. This person needs to be worked up because gross hematuria is one thing, but when it comes out looking like cola, there's something more systemic going on that needs to be evaluated and or ruled out. You can't simply... What's the reason for this happening? It's not a normal thing, and spontaneously, uh, mineral imbalance is not going to pop Right, and you said, and Monica mentioned in the, in her concerns that she thought there might be some breakdown of excessive proteins, which is in that rhabdo realm, so to speak. So it is something that we would urge uh, her to uh, urge her friend to check out more in depth. Of course, we, you know, I remember when we first started, even when we got questions about kidney issues, usually you said cadmium came up very frequently with kidney issues. No, actually, that was luck. Cadmium is associated with a lot of lung issues. Oh, lung issues. Uh, maybe I was thinking with blood pressure. Yes, blood pressure, cadmium. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So, all right. So, and kidneys and lung in Chinese medicine are also closely linked, interestingly enough. So, there may be some play that's related to this as well. Uh, we, we came back, we come back to talking about the heavy metal burdens that are likely present even in cancer issues. Uh, in fact, Robert, I think uh, this is a, another good point that we can help the listeners to understand, and that is this non-excreter phenomenon, which is where the heavy metals end up playing a more significant role. We have to remember that the entire population on this planet has been exposed to the same level of environment. There are a lot of other people that may not be as sensitive, but they're still non-excreters, so they're being affected. And actually, the physiology of a non-excreter, which will not manifest itself in Alzheimer's later on in life, in certain people, the same physiology, same non-executive physiology seen with all with autistic patients, and actually we see the same exact physiology with cancer patients. They're non-executors. The only difference is that in one particular patient population, there's an accumulation chronically of these toxic substances that then eventually cause a problem with the neurological system resulting in Alzheimer's, whereas with the other patient population, it's an acute response to an insidious piling on of these toxins that are very critical developmental phase during the clinical developmental phase that affect them and they become autistic or their label is autistic. And then in between this, you've got the other aspect of the patients that actually doesn't affect neurologically but affects more their immune system and allows for the propagation of the oncogenic process of cancer. But they're all non-excreter phenomena. They are all three patient populations that are being affected by this unique physiology of the non-excreter, meaning that they can't get rid of these chemicals and these metals. In the general 
well, let's say medical population, I don't hear this discussed at all, what you just referenced about the chronic accumulation leading to Alzheimer's and the acute overwhelming aspect of uh, early childhood with vaccinations in already a weakened population due to generational declines. Is this, is this being discussed anywhere in modern medicine? Absolutely, Robert. We're discussing it right now. This is it, man. <laughs> I love it. Well, somebody's got to talk about it, uh, and I'm glad that uh, you and I are getting to do it each week we here. We are discussing it. We are the advanced medicine, right? That's, that's, uh, exactly. So, you know, is, is there awareness of this in the standard mainstream medical community? Probably not, but there are people that are talking about it, but we seem to be the fulcrum of bringing this up. I know that about... Oh, eight years ago, maybe nine years ago, there was an oncologist that called me and started talking to me about spending some time with me to actually hematologist, oncologist. He ended up serving with me on the American Board of Clinical Toxicology as the vice chairman, um, Dr. Holbert, Jim Holbert. And what was interesting is when he first called me, he, well, you know Dr. Harbour, right, Robert? Of course, yeah, you know Dr. Harbour. Yes. And... I thought that it was Dr. Harvard that was calling into the office, as one of my staff members mentioned. So anyway, I heard uh, Harvard, it was actually Holbert. I didn't know who this was. I ended up taking a call. I thought it was Jim Harvard. It was Jim Holbert. And I didn't know who this guy was. He's a hematologist, oncologist. And we started talking. He wanted to come shadow me. And um, I was a little curious why an oncologist wanted to come and shadow with me. And he said, well, I, I think this is a, this issue with heavy metals is just an extremely important thing. And I think it's being ignored in medicine. And I started laughing. And, of course, he didn't know me, and he's kind of quiet. He goes, well, I'm not sure why you're laughing, but this really is a serious issue. And I said, I'm sorry. I- I'm laughing because I already know it's a very important issue. I'm just not used to an oncologist telling me that it's an important issue. And uh, so we, of course, formed an instantaneous friendship. But it is becoming more and more among the doctors that are aware. It's becoming more of a critical issue, and the recognition of that being a critical issue is becoming, I, I believe, as the consciousness is increasing, more and more people are becoming aware of it, but in just like our listener groups and just like patients coming into my office and other doctors telling me about how more patients are becoming aware and coming to them, so I think it's part of that general awareness consensus, if you will, but as far as in mainstream media and what's popularized by uh, the, the hierarchy, the medical hierarchy is concerned, I don't think it's being talked about or discussed anywhere, but it certainly should be because I think it's probably the most significant endemic issue that's facing the global population Yeah, you mentioned Dr. Jim Hover. I think that was interesting how that uh, person was able to get through to you, kind of mistaken identity, but it worked out in such a wonderful way. But you're going to be with Jim Hover and Liam Sheff. I want to remind everybody, I believe it's like the 6th and the 7th and the 8th of uh, November uh, in Bremen, Georgia, which is outside of Atlanta. So I want to remind everybody about that upcoming seminar. Brian, I think uh, I'll be there on the 8th, and then I fly out on the 8th, because I've got to give a lecture in Dallas. Right, and but Liam will be there, and I'll be in town. So we're all going to be converging on the Atlanta area in November. So I invite everybody to come in. In the show notes today, you'll see a link specific to where Liam and Dr. Batar will be and then also the links to where I'll be. So uh, hopefully we'll get be able to all connect, even if it's in passing. Absolutely. It'll be, it'll be good. I don't think that you and I will be able to actually see each other right i think you're coming up um the night of the 8th is that right i'm actually now looking to fly in on the 7th i got a schedule shift so i'm going to be in early enough there's going to be an interesting debate at the wise traditions healing conference with uh, weston a price between 
Joe Mercola and Joe Salatin, Joel Salatin, all about labeling versus banning GMOs. So that's going to be kind of cool. Oh, banning GMOs, I'm all for that. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's interesting. The intriguing libertarian side of some of the folks out there is we don't want GMOs uh, labeled because that would be government inter- interference. But I'm sort of the uh, perspective that I'll take anything we can get, although the ban would be the ultimate. Wait a second. I don't quite understand that. They're saying that GMOs shouldn't be labeled because that would mean the government is coming in. Is that what they said? Yeah, that's a, that's a perspective that some libertarians have. And I understand the purest streak in the libertarian viewpoint. Uh, but they have zero regulation on, on this particular issue where GMOs, the Monsantos of the world, have actually purchased the government. I don't know if it fits into that argument. Yeah, I think that would be a, I think that would be a flawed argument. Well, and that's why I'm intrigued to come in and listen to the debate. So that's going to be awesome. But, again, you have an event for doctors in Dallas as well following that. But I would encourage anybody to come into the Atlanta area or go west of Atlanta on I-20. You get out to Bremen, and you can take part in uh, Jim Hover's event with Liam and Dr. Batar. And, again, all the links are up in the show notes at robertscottbell.com, as they are each week. If you ever miss an Advanced Medicine Monday, you can always go to medicalrewind.com. Of course, for the nine steps to keep the doctor away, we have links to the international bestseller. And if you have not gotten that book, you want to talk about pre-holiday stuff, you want to talk about vitamin G and gratitude coming up, I would say give that book as a gift, and it will be the gift of healing that keeps on giving. It's one of those seminal books that I highly recommend as a starting point. And for those who are thinking of themselves already advanced, it's going to be there for you as well. So stand by. We're going to wrap up some advanced medicine with Dr. Raja Bittar, the Willie Nelson edition, as he's still on the road. And we'll be right back with more powerful healing after this. Live around the world, the Robert Scott Bell Bell Show. Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. If anyone thinks that all we do is bash doctors here with Dr. Bittar, really, no, we give doctors their props when they get it right. And this article from the L.A. Times is stunning, and we're actually going to give props to a gastroenterologist, because we love talking digestion, Dr. Bittar. And it turns out heartburn is not a disease, it's a symptom. So this could be a moment of death that you do, Robert, or I could say something sarcastic. Exactly. He, he's just come over to our side, and, of course, we've known this for how many decades, I guess, how many years? Decades, <laughs> I would say. At least in, in my practice, for over 20 years, we have not, almost almost 20 years now, I should say. I've been in private practice for 17 years and came to this realization before I was in private practice that certainly this is not something that should be treated the way it is treated in mainstream medicine. But, yes, it's nice to see a person coming to this conclusion on their own, and this is really mnemonic of how most doctors that come over to our side, to the light side, from the dark side, they come to some epiphany. In fact, I think this um, doctor said that in his own article that he came to an epiphany. He had all sorts of medical problems himself, including being overweight. He mentioned that he had blood pressure issues and was taking medication for that. He had high cholesterol he was on all sorts of pills, he slept poorly, he had no energy, he made some changes, and now he has none of those issues anymore, which is exactly what will happen to any human being, because if you do the right things, you're not going to have any of these issues. And I, of course, happen to put out a book, Robert, did you 
love so much, and you are one of my biggest fans, but that's exactly what the book is about, is that if you do these right things, you don't have to worry about these issues. And it's really interesting that he makes some statements here that you've probably heard me make uh, a thousand times over the last decade. He says somewhere in this article about how the body is an amazing piece of machinery, and I think you've probably, oh, here it is, the body is an amazing machine. And you've heard me say that we, the human physiology, not just human physiology, but the biological system, it's actually the ultimate piece of machinery. And the creator is the ultimate engineer because he created this ultimate piece of machinery that the more you use it, the better it becomes. No other machinery can be measured in the same context as the biological system. A car, a lawnmower, a helicopter, everything is done based upon the number of miles on that engine, the number of hours that that machine was being operated. And the longer that machinery was operated, the less time that engine has. But the physiological system, the biological system, is the opposite. The older a person gets, the more uh, wear and tear on their heart. That piece of machinery does not get worse. It actually gets better. It becomes more efficient. So the epiphany that this doctor had is actually the epiphany that all doctors should have, that if they just get out of the way, this ultimate machinery that was designed by the ultimate engineer will actually start to function at an optimum level on its own. You just have to get the garbage out of the way and give it back what it needs in order to be able to function at its optimum. And that's really how difficult it is. It's really that, that simple. So there's your message. Doctors, get out of the way. <laughs> and, of course... Well, Robert, we've, we've, we've joked about this, but, you know, the doctors, when they went on strike the death rate actually declined. And when the docs came back off strike, and this isn't just in one or two places, this was like four different times in four different regions of the world. Every time the doctors went on strike, less people died. And when the doctors came back to work, more people start dying again. Of course. And and the message goes out to silly humans that are not doctors as well, thinking that they can outthink creation instead of honoring it and abiding by it and living with it. I felt like almost saying amen there. Well, we do throw some amens out together. Listen, it's a fun journey we're on, and, and to you realize that it isn't so much how much we can intervene, it's more or less how much we can you know get out of the way, let go, and let God, and it doesn't mean we are irresponsible in doing so. In fact, we are quite responsible in the way we do it. Absolutely, and I think that as an example, that lady that had asked the question about the kidneys, you know, there's certain things that people need to be aware that when they occur, they need to then find an appropriate physician to help them and they can't do that on their own. That's really what, that's the only thing that's really important. Well, and I think that's the theme of the, the nine steps to keep the doctor away, is teaching people, you know, this is the, these are the things you can do so you don't need that kind of intervention, which we're all about supporting you move away from that medical monopoly concept. So, uh, Dr. Batar, man, thanks for hanging out with us on the road today. I know it was a lot of fun, uh, although people behind the scenes don't know what we do on the break, going, darn this connection, but it, we're making it through. Yeah, we did make it through. All right. Well, I appreciate you so very much. Everybody check him out. We've got the links up to where he's going to be as well as Liam Sheff and me. So we'll be back next week for more advanced medicine. In the meantime, all you have to do besides reading the nine steps to keep the doctor away is remember that the power to heal is yours. The Robert Scott Bell Show. The Robert Scott Bell Show.